preachers and teachers of the New Testament, they had a point in there. They were trying to get to a place where people would make a change. Welcome to Working with the Word, a currently bi-weekly podcast designed to equip you with the skills and confidence for deeper daily Bible study. I'm Jeff O'Rear. And I'm Emerson Brown. Thank you for joining us for the conclusion of our final four series, as well as our final episode of 2021. Today we are wrapping up our series of Bible study and different relationships and seeing what we can do to help encourage studying different relationships. We hope you've enjoyed things with our conversations with the Bible geeks, with the folks from Intimate Covenant, with Hannah and Eddie Jinks, and today we'll be concluding all of that with a conversation with Marty Broadwell, talking about Bible study in a Bible class or small group setting, and just what we can do either as a teacher or a student to make sure we're working together about the flow and direction of a class to lead it to that application and life change that the Lord wants us to make. Marty has lots of great things to say, so enjoy this conversation we've had with him today. Well, hello, everyone. This is Jeff O'Rear with Working with the Word with my co-host Emerson Brown. Today, we are joined by Marty Broadwell, continuing our series of Bible study and different relationships. We're actually wrapping up this series for the year with this particular interview. Marty Broadwell Jr. is from Atlanta, Georgia, father to four boys and grandfather to nine grandchildren, a former mathematics professor at Florida College, and later a technological researcher, and now enjoys a part-time uh, working role in uh, a teaching capacity of some way. Marty has a great passion for teaching others about the Lord and His Word, and a passion for teaching others how to teach others about the Lord and His Word, whether that's at Embry Hills, where he's worshiped for 35 plus years, or various men's and leadership workshops he's done for churches around the country. Today, like I mentioned, we're wrapping up our final four series on Bible studies and different relationships. We'll be talking with Marty about Bible study and a Bible class setting, and what we can do either as a teacher or as a student to promote spiritual growth and application of God's Word. Thank you for joining us today, Marty. Thanks. It's great to be here. I appreciate the work y'all doing on this uh, podcast. Well, thank you very much. We appreciate you and all that you've done, and know that you've done a lot of talking about you know other people about maybe more the teaching side about Bible study and things like that, and we'll definitely look to highlight some of that as well. We want to start with maybe a very broad question, what makes a good Bible study in a Bible class? You know, I'm kind of thinking of a, there's a teacher and a group of students, whether that's a Wednesday night, a Sunday morning, somebody's house, devotional kind of way, what makes a good study in that way? Uh, that's a really great beginning point. And, and I think there's a very simple answer. Um, I think about Matthew's version of the Great Commission, where after disciples are made, and I put the word after in there, but he says, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. Notice the attention in that verse is on those who are taught and their ability to observe or obey the word. Mm -hmm. I think often when we go to a class, a study of any kind, where our attention is focused on the teacher and someone says, was that a good class? And our answer is always focused on how entertaining or how enlightening or how non-boring the teacher was. <laughs> That's looking the wrong direction. Turn around and look at the learner. Mm. What makes a good Bible class, however awkward the teacher might have been, is that he has helped the students change who they are. 
He's made a change in their life. And it may be small. It may be the beginning of a good habit that's difficult at the beginning. Uh, their belief may be dif different. It may be something you can't even quite observe immediately in their behavior. But I think the, uh, the Great Commission, the message is that these are disciples trying to follow more closely what Jesus said. The teacher is just a conduit. Let's don't judge Bible classes by how much uh, impression the teacher made on us, but rather by how, much, how many changes we're incentivized by our faith, by our conviction, by the power of the word to make in our lives. So what makes a good Bible class? Changed lives, right? Amen. Doing or believing something different or more deeply, you might say. So that, that's yeah. where I would start, really, as a teacher, even in preparation. What am I changing about the learners, the students that are there? When you think about that word disciple that Jesus uses, make disciples of all the nations, that word disciple means a learner, right? And so that, you know, Bible classes are just one part of how we can, how we can grow as, as disciples. When you look in the New Testament, there are examples of what appear to be uh, offices almost in the church. They were evangelists, pastors, and teachers, or maybe pastors who were teachers, however you translate that. Uh, be not many of you teachers, James warns us in, in chapter 3. There were teachers at the church in Antioch in Acts chapter 13. That was a key role. And what was the purpose of that role? And you look at Ephesians 4, and it was the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. And you can tell in that passage, it was to keep children from not being children very long, right? <laughs> so they could grow up and they could be right. mature and not tossed to and fro and all those things. They represent our growth to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Yeah, that's it. And I think that the thinking of teachers in that context of our growth as a body, but even more particularly as individuals, uh, is really the best way to look at it. Mm -hmm. So in a setting, like a Bible class setting, what are some things that work well or some maybe some things that don't work well? And that might vary from person to person or group to group, but are there general things that you know we see as this happens, it regularly doesn't produce much change in people's lives where stuff like this is often leading to that change we're looking for. Yeah, I don't know. I would start with maybe the first point would be if the teacher's goal is to make a change, a difference in the lives of the disciples, it seems to me the teacher needs to go into that setting with a plan, including what changes he, he hopes to make in those disciples, right? I think sometimes we're more interested in maybe interpreting a difficult passage or being able to answer questions that might arise or having something new and innovative or something like that. But it seems like the foundation would have to be what do I want these learners? We hope involved, engaged learners, right? If they're true disciples, mm -hmm. what do we want them to know, believe or do differently as a result? So I think you start with that goal. And I think if you have a Bible class that hasn't really, haven't really thought about what if the teacher hasn't thought about how uh, will we steer our discussion toward that, it will tend to be unfocused and not create those changes uh, mm -hmm. that, that we have in mind. And then second, in the actual organization of the class period, the activities, and that could just be reading or discussion, directed questions, group uh, discussions, case studies, imagine all kinds of classroom techniques. Mm -hmm. Those are selected, again, aiming at what change you want to see made. It's not as easy as just saying, well, let's all be more diligent personal workers or something like that. You, 
in a way you have to provide a factual basis, right? And so that doesn't mean you have to go in saying only application, only application. If you look at the teachers in the New Testament, it's pretty clear in every setting they were headed towards something important, right? Mm-hmm. Either to tell those people they were lost and they needed to be baptized, say on the day of Pentecost, repent and, and all that. Or maybe Paul is speaking to the elders of Ephesus as they met him in Miletus. He's saying, I need you to watch out for all these things. Paul, he was headed toward that from the very beginning. He told his story and his life and his history there at Ephesus and as an example to them. What was the point of all of that? It was to get to the application he was trying to make. So I think in our teaching, we start with a goal over here. What is it we want to change about the disciples? And we hope they want to change too. It's not like we're tricking them into that. Yeah. But also yeah. then you start over here with some facts, some verses, some examples, some stories, maybe some discussion and might include some confessions and other things that the members might, uh, students, disciples might need to make that reflects what's difficult about that change. But you're, you're always moving toward the end to say, you know, how are we going to, uh, we call it apply this, right? But how are we going to be different as a result of the mm-hmm. study? So things that work and things that don't work. Yeah, they all must be measured, it seems to me, in the context of where are we going? What's the study headed toward? And I think sometimes we just kind of say, well, we're going to all read the book of James. Yeah, or, or some, you know, in other words, we just start with the text, but with not a real clear idea of where, what are we trying to get to uh, in, in the end. And so if it's a young men's study, the teachers should be thinking through what, where are these young men? What are they struggling with? And what in this text that we're going to look at uh, would help them the most. And so that's my first thought is everything should be focused toward that. I think a second thing is the more engagement, and that's kind of a maybe a somewhat of a trite thing to say. And I think sometimes we measure engagement in terms of how many different sp- people spoke up or what percent of the time the, the learners were speaking. That's helpful perhaps but that's not quite what i mean by that i mean engagement mm-hmm. along the path of learning that we have in mind right because i think very often if the t- the students are not as prepared as the teacher they shouldn't be i shouldn't say it that way the teacher should be more prepared than the students I <laughs> yeah because that's the responsibility god's given us as teachers right but as you come into the setting you really would like the students to participate, but in a way that's directed toward that goal out there. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. So not just asking uh, questions or making uh, mini sermons that are kind of off the top of the head, what this verse reminds me of, or another verse that uses the same word, but something that's focused and directed by the teacher. That doesn't mean the students could not be very deeply involved. uh, And so there are ways, but it always would be in the context of a teaching plan that would help the, everyone, including the teacher, get to that goal behavior at the end. Uh, so that I think that's another thing. Student involvement, but relevant to the plan and the goals that, that the teacher has set out. That's probably really an abstract way of saying it, it might help to, to give examples or something. But anyway, that's that's my attempt at an answer of what works and what doesn't work. Yeah, one of the things we've emphasized on this podcast is the importance of personal and individual Bible study. Uh, we've kind of drilled that. That's what our podcast is really all about. But it's it's also really important and essential that we understand the advantages of group 
studies. And so could you talk about that a little bit? What, what advantages do you have in a Bible class setting that you wouldn't have an individual study? Right. And, and I, I want to, maybe I can bridge those two a little bit to say that I think a really good teacher will be an enabler for better individual Bible study mm-hmm. in several ways. One is uh, maybe assignments before the class, a very specific directed assignment. And it might be find all the places in this text where this concept is found, or it could be memorized an outline. I mean, that, that, that seems like, a, but, but, you know, you start learning with factual things before you synthesize them, put them together into general principles and applications. And finally say, hey, Oh, there's an application that I could make, you know? And so then begin to change your life. But I think that um, in the, the, the crossover, if you will, the centered synergy between uh, individual and collective Bible study, I think that a collective setting would be one in which individual study skills are enhanced. You don't back away from that, but rather you begin to say, oh, I see how that analysis was done. I see how that conclusion was drawn. Now I see how to check on the Old Testament references and how, what they add to the, the context of the reasoning and the argument. So that's something that I think bridges those two together. But when you come to the collective setting, you, you have to think of the first advantage is that you have a teacher who understands the material and has made a plan for how to approach it. There's got to be some efficiency in that. That's God's plan. He gave gifts, including the uh, teachers and their ability. Mm-hmm. And looking at the New Testament, the disciples continued daily, really, in the apostles' teaching. Why were they doing that? Why were they just studying on their own? Well, they had the apostles there. <laughs> you know, and there was a great opportunity to be directed uh, by these inspired men who eventually would write down that message that they could carry as they were scattered throughout the whole earth, you know, and that became the basis for their teaching. So I think, first of all, um, and, and I'm thinking of uh, Paul, uh, his warning to Timothy in the first part of Ephesians, where he says, you know, there, there are men who desire to be teachers, but they don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. Flip that over, and it implies that, that a teacher will be an expert. That is, he knows what he is talking about. He's familiar with the scripture. So, oh, what an advantage to study in a collective setting. And I don't think it's wrong to emphasize the fact that, that there are other minds, other Bible students, uh, who can also contribute to our understanding. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm, uh, I don't mean to neglect that, but I, I would under, underemphasize it, so to speak, because I think unless, or maybe everybody's coming with their uh, very best thoughts about how we could change our, our lives, and again, that would be under the direction of the teacher, uh, but, but I think in general, I think of the teacher as being the, the source for that. I've almost implied the teacher is a know-it-all. I didn't mean to say that at all. The teacher is <laughs> a facilitator, right? So pulling out of all of us our own experiences and what we know about the text, but still with a purpose for where, where we're trying to go. So in a collective setting, and I think that, uh, oh, there are examples. You know, think about when in your life you have really made a change, a, a real change, a repentant change, you know, where there's something that we fail to do and we just, we're going to do better and we start right away. That's often not just because someone's presented some uh, more or less factual information to us. It's usually at the end of a, you know, a session with someone that, that we trust and we love and we talk about the difficulties and we work through that. And I think that's a collective setting almost by definition, right? Yeah. 
And if a really good teacher, maybe who can manage his time better than I usually do, but can get past the, you know, the, not, not cover the factual, cover the analysis, start to talk about potential applications, but leave time for the group itself to, to talk amongst themselves really in some way and really push toward how we might make this change in our lives. I, to me, that's a perfect class period. Start with some memory work, right? A quiz mm -hmm. or something kind of, you know, you know, factual learning and reinforcement of that, and then move toward an analysis, a more general discussion, maybe in groups of, of potential applications. And then in the ideal, uh, sit down with an accountability partner and said, you know what? Um, I'm going to try to do this as an expression of my love for my wife starting Tuesday, even if it's a lesson on marriage. You know what I mean? You, you get to a place or I'm going to really work harder at this personal work thing, or I'm going to work on this habit that's getting in the way of my service. And you get to the point of really making an application. I think that's the New Testament pattern, by the way. It yeah. seems like you, the preachers and teachers of the New Testament they weren't just helping us all understand the book of Jeremiah better. They had a point in there. They were trying to get to a place where people would make a change. So I think the group setting provides some opportunities for that, uh, helping yeah. under the leadership of the teacher. So there's obviously been a lot of talk and this has been something that's been real helpful for me is to hear you talk about the role of a teacher. And as I teach Bible classes, whether that's in an auditorium to adults or just in a small classroom to a couple of high school kids, I'm trying to be much more thoughtful about what am I actually doing in that? So there's a very broad question of what do teachers need to be doing? You've answered some of that of just, there needs to be a plan. There needs to be the sense of a direction. Um, but maybe are there other things that would go along with that you're thinking about a teacher needs to to be doing to prepare themselves to fulfill that role well? Well, um, given that we said that the best thing that makes a Bible class good is not looking at the teacher, but looking at the students, mm -hmm. I think the teacher begins by doing that in the ideal. Uh, if you're going to teach a junior high class, especially for me as an old guy, I got to go figure out where they are. What do they know? What are they interested in? Or is there evidence of the, of, struggle with a particular topic? Have they heard some things that, that really are not really quite right that we need to talk about in terms of their belief? Mm -hmm. uh, what mm -hmm. are they going to face, you know, in the coming years as they head toward high school or leave home or whatever? I think the, maybe the first thing a teacher does is to look at the needs of the students. And there's a kind of a, you know, I would, in computer sense, it's a forward chaining and a backward chaining reasoning that you do. And you say, look, Here's the text, and maybe you've been assigned by the elders to teach, you know, the book of, of whatever, right? Genesis, something. But you then you say, well, well, here's where the students are. What in this book of Genesis meets the challenges and needs of what they have? And so I think you kind of reason back. So clearly study Genesis. Study a lot of stuff in Genesis, much of which you won't present or require them to learn because it's not exactly relevant at the moment. Other things may be relevant later, maybe worth putting in some of their memory, you know, but there's some specific things you want to emphasize because they do address the need. So I would think first step, in addition to learning the material, is to learn the students and say, what is it that's best suited for them? Yeah. I recommend as a teacher activity, writing down what I call goals. 
And uh, this, those are sentences that start with these words. At the end of the course, and that would be multiple class periods perhaps, or maybe it's just one. At the end of the course, the students will, and then fill in the believe or do differently part, right? Mm -hmm. They will be more convinced that God is the creator, all right, or that we live in a fallen world and we are always under threat or whatever it is. Now, those are not measurable. I wish they were, right? Yeah. There's no faithometer that, that you can <laughs> put on the student's head, you know, at the beginning and at the end and see how much progress they've made. But boy, articulating them uh, and they evolve, right? As you learn more about the subject matter itself and learn more about the students, I think they might actually over time uh, iterate. But it means that every class period may be tailored for the specific group you're teaching or the discussion. Mm -hmm. uh, and even if you're teaching, uh, as I said, Genesis, and it's the 10th time you've ever taught it, it should be different based on uh, who you're talking to and what you think their needs would be. So writing down those goals, it seems like is a way to articulate the goal. And then it's not a trick. Share that with the students, almost like the first thing, right? I'm not trying to trick you into believing or doing these things differently. We're going on this journey together. And here's where we're headed. And so as we talk about the text, I want us all to be remembering how this, the power of the word is going to help us change as disciples in these particular ways. So I think sharing that direction with the class, especially the more mature they are, right? Starting mm -hmm. with junior high and high, and certainly adults. Why are we in here? What are we, what are we trying to do? And um, I can't measure this with my faithometer, but you can look in your own heart and see if we're moving toward that as a disciple, which is what disciples obviously would, would want to do. Right. Uh, so that's, that's a kind of an outer shell, I think, of how you would approach a study. But then looking at each individual class period, I think there's a similar thing, but on a much smaller scale. So, again, we kind of think of we're going to cover the second chapter of Second Timothy or something. Well, no, that's what the teacher is going to do, right? What will the students be doing differently at the end of this class period? Well, they can list the six images of God's servant that are listed in that chapter, right? And I know that's factual learning, and it may seem somewhat trivial, but if you don't say, hey, the way we're going to approach our learning to be better teachers, using the example of Timothy, that's our goal, our course goal, is I want to look at how Paul tries to convince Timothy that as a soldier, an athlete, a farmer, or whatever the images are, those are, so let's, at least at the end of the class period, I don't think I will have changed you that much, but still you'll have memorized at least, you know what these images are, and whenever you think about it, you'll know to go to Second Timothy 2 to think about those particular images, and you'll know why a farmer is like a teacher, or a soldier is like a teacher, or a uh, an athlete or something like that. You, you see what I'm saying? So on a yeah. more miniature yeah. scale about that specific class period, then the teacher in his, his planning can, and then again, it's not a trick. Share that with the students at the beginning. Mm -hmm. They'll help you manage the time and they'll help you know if you're getting there or not, you know, uh, after a while, they are, they're cooperative. They're, they're um, part of the process really. Uh, mm -hmm. teaching. I think those are, those are kind of the outer shells when you get down to being ready to start to teach the class period. So. Yeah, I think that's really helpful to think about because sometimes we don't take teaching as seriously as we need to. And it's almost like we, we tend to approach teaching, okay, 
who wants to volunteer to to teach through the book of Acts and you give them three weeks to three weeks notice. And so it's like, we don't have any forethought or preparation in advance. And it's, and it's not really helpful. That doesn't produce very good <laughs> classes. Um, you know, another- I'll go farther than that to say, I think our attitude is not so much that the teacher is a position of authority. Uh, when I think it actually is, I think mm-hmm. that if there's apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, that's a kind of an important list. Uh, there were five, at least, teachers in Antioch, some of whom we would recognize as being pretty powerful, authoritative uh, uh, speakers. It's a, implied that it's a kind of authority in First Timothy 2, when women are forbidden from taking a role of teaching men and, or uh, a position of authority. I think the implication there. But as, so as a teacher, I think in addition to kind of at the last minute, hey, cover the book of Acts, please, with the high school class or whatever. We also often, maybe as teachers come in, maybe it's preparation, maybe it's just our, the way we, you know, what we're used to, maybe the precedent. We come in and say, well, I want you all to help me through this, you know, or, or you know, everybody's opinion is as important as everybody else's. I think that's kind of our democratic system, maybe, you know, influences in, in, in maybe a not such a positive way. Mm-hmm. But I think it's important. I think it's appropriate. I think it's scriptural. Um, to go ahead as a teacher and say, you know, I, I have been given a responsibility here and, and I'm doing my best to be by knowing the material, uh, by making a plan, by having an intention for, for you and me and, and making changes in our life. So, yes, it's sometimes informally assigned. OK, that's great, but I'll take the assignment. But then I also should treat it as a position of leadership, I think is a better way to say it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that will we'll, uh, get to a certain place that I'm going to try to uh, determine and uh, and facilitate us all to get there. Another way to think of it. Mm-hmm. And so we've spent some time, and I know there's probably a lot more that could be said about teachers' perspective. But as we're somewhat wrapping up from the students' perspective, and maybe not all of us will be teachers. Maybe all of us realize that I'm not in that position of authority, but I'm still going to be a part of this study. What can I do as a student to, to help bring about a fruitful study? I mean, maybe some of that is just the, you know, do my lesson ahead of time, but are there other things you would recommend to students to help them or to help them to be a help in a Bible class setting? Right. I, I, don't pass over that. Just do my lesson in advance. So yes. I mean, if, if, if you, acknowledge that there is a sense of authority that the teacher represents. It's very similar to me, uh, to a a wife, a a wonderful wife who can sense the direction that her husband would like to go. However, you know, imperfect, imperfect and inadequate his explanations are, but she uses her creativity and her energy to move in that direction and support that and make it happen. I think as a student, yeah, not, not just compliant with, yes, give you a handout, do that. Or we said we were going to memorize the contents of every chapter in the book of Acts. And I have some flashcards and you can show me, okay, we'll put some effort into that. Do that. That's the teacher asked for that. Maybe I wouldn't approach it that way, but that's part of what submitting to authority and, and you know, is, but I think in a larger sense, uh, we can all be better students if we think of the teacher as taking us on this journey, right? Mm-hmm. What are the goals? Well, okay, if they've been expressed, or even if they haven't, maybe you could help clarify, but then help with that. So my comments are not just, well, I thought of this, or here's a, something I heard last week, or 
but rather what are, if this is our destination, how can I contribute to that? And it may be a personal story that relates to that particular change or something. So as so I'm not ruling out that students don't have lots to say and lots to contribute, but the idea is put it in the context of the journey you're on to make those mm-hmm. changes, uh, you know, that the Bible text and our own personal needs uh, lead us to, to say we need to make. So, yes, I think there's a great deal. And, you know, some of the better students, of course, are teachers themselves because they've been in that situation. But they know that this comment, well, it'll be distracting. It'll head us off. It'll bring up a controversy that is not in the direction we're trying to go as a class <laughs> that the teacher has articulated, right? Mm-hmm. But there may be other things. Maybe here's another passage, but it's dead on what we're trying to do as far as making a change or learning more about what we should believe uh, in a particular area or something like that. I think that's very important. I think of uh, as well supporting other students in in some ways, and it could be in the group discussion. There may be a a leadership thing that could be brought to bear, uh, subordinate perhaps to the teacher, but still a setting where it would be helpful to bring others along, um, help explain things that maybe in a larger setting they may have been reluctant to ask or maybe my knowledge of other students and what they're struggling with would be helpful uh, to work with them or to help the teacher understand. I don't know. I think a lot of ways, but think of it as a cooperative effort, not just I direct, I I say it and you do it, right? That's not the idea. We're on a, especially in adult studies, we're on a journey together and uh, the teacher has some authority to set that direction to plan activities, to facilitate those, to manage the time. That's one thing I often suggest is as a teacher, if you know there's a challenge for management of time and we have in our culture, you know, bells that ring and things like that. <laughs> or we have, you know, baseball games that come on at nine. So if we're having a home study, we got to be, you know, we surely got to be done by then. But anyway, uh, we have time constraints. Share your plan, your time as a teacher, Say, you know what, by quarter after, I don't know, I don't care where we are, but I'd like to go ahead and get to this other section because that's Mm -hmm. the most important part. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. Or I think the junior high kids like this, you know, hey, listen, at 20 till, I want you to stop me and we're going to make sure we're on this. So give them a job of, you know, helping you manage the time that implicitly says to all of them, hey, we're going to use this time as efficiently as we can. And here's a plan. Let's all contribute to meeting that plan. That's just maybe a specific example of that, but uh, there are ways in which I think the students can facilitate the journey uh, as well as the teacher. Absolutely. So we have a few more questions for you that will kind of wrap this up today. Thank you for your thoughts. It's been really helpful. One of the questions that Jeff and I have talked about and really is kind of the basis for our, our podcast we kept hearing this phrase, deeper Bible study, and we were curious, what does that mean? So we wanted to dive into that more. So this is a question we ask anyone that we interview. What, what does deeper Bible study mean to you? I've tried to think about, especially as a teacher, and especially in teaching others to be better teachers, about how we learn. And I don't mean just learn, that is, get a fact stuck in our head that I don't have any trouble remembering. But, uh, but rather, how do we get to the point where we are disciples and we're obeying? And we're not just obeying reluctantly, we're obeying willingly. In fact, maybe even a, a reaching the point where I have the mind of Christ. Imagine that. Mm-hmm. So I don't even have to think hard about doing the right thing. It's what I want to do. It's what I naturally do. And I believe there's a kind of a sequence, not always linear, but 
I think you start by learning some facts and they, they may or may not have significance, but you just learn them. And I think as Christians, the more of that foundation we have, books of the Bible, periods of the Bible, major characters, key texts, meanings of words and concepts, those kind of things, those can be just memorized, even by children often, right? Even though they may not get to the other side. Those facts have relationships. Some things cause other things. Some things came before other things. Some things are shadows of other things and so on. And so there's a good and a bad side. And, you know, this is the opposite of that. Those facts didn't begin to have relationships. And out of that, I can determine principles, principles that are behaviors, things that I know. If, you know, if you do this, your life's going to turn out pretty bad. Or God requires this, and that also requires this other thing. They go together. Those are relationships. See, So those are kind of principles. Okay, I, I haven't changed my life yet still, mm-hmm. you know, but I have gathered a lot of facts and relationships and maybe even established some overarching principles that apply to lots of verses and lots of Bible teaching. There comes a place where we say to ourselves, you know, here's a way that would make a difference in my life if I was willing to make that change, you know, and, and so I'm coming to the place of beginning to see, yeah, there's a potential application here. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like, uh, was it Agrippa or somebody that said, what are you trying to do? Make me a Christian. I mean, he, he kind of understood. Yeah, I, I see where you're going with this. All right. But he's not going there. I don't guess. And then there's a place where you say, you know, I'm going to make a change. And that's difficult. Often, if, especially if it's a habit, a long-seated belief that I'm struggling with, that may take some time. But once I've done that, and I keep repeating that habit based on all that learning that's come up to there. I keep, I may have to go back and read those verses to strengthen myself. You know, this is what God requires. No, that's right. Yeah, I'm thinking through it again. Yep. I know it's hard, but still, and then there's, there comes a time, maybe after a while, eventually it's a habit. We just do it because we know it's right. And we don't revisit all the logic that led me to that up to that point. It, it, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So what does deeper mean in your question? And I guess I get to define it however I want to, right? That's right. You said, right. You said, what does it mean to you? So here's my definition. Uh, deeper means getting to the point of having the mind of Christ. And I don't think you get there by just flopping open the Bible and saying, well, there's a psalm and that boy, that touched my heart this morning, you know, or something that I think that it, you get there by that logical path. And I'm saying that to increase the value of memorization, right? And and just general Bible knowledge as a foundation to building the principles that lead us to a deep faith to make those hard changes, otherwise known as repentance, right? And then after that, establish life habits that make me more Christ-like, you know, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. That's where we're going. I think we can maybe jump to applications without really having a good foundation, but we can also just spend our time in facts and interesting things and interpretations and Hebrew words and all those. But if we're not moving to how shall I be different, we're not deep yet. I think that's where, yeah, uh, that's where God would lead us. I'm sorry for the long answer to that question. Oh, that's great. That's very good. Appreciate that. Our next question is who is your favorite teacher in the Bible? And you can't say the Lord. So kind of a knee jerk (laughs) reaction of someone who's a teacher in the Bible, who's your favorite? Well, we don't quite have all the words. Um, I'm Just because I have to teach this coming up pretty soon, I'm pretty fascinated by Stephen's sermon. 
in chapter seven. Uh, you know, he was accused of some very specific things, I think, you know, of opposition to the temple or, you know, the land and so on. And he takes us on a journey <laughs> of the history <laughs> of Israel. And I have an idea that at some point they were saying, well, yeah, we agree with everything he's saying. Yeah, that is what happened, you know. Uh -huh. But after piling those facts up and stacking up the story of Joseph, you know, and his betrayal by his brothers and other things, uh, boy, he just brings it around to a real application, which mm -hmm. it's clear he reached their hearts, not in a positive way, so that they were interested <laughs> in changes. But he got through to about a potential application, whether they were willing to make it or not. Uh, uh, and I just think that's a nice. Uh, that's just a nice uh, picture, really, of how the teachers in the in the New Testament used the text. He was so, it was such a textual sermon, wasn't it? Right. And yet yeah. you could say, well, no, it was kind of topical because he didn't, you know, he didn't dwell in, you know, in the latter part of Genesis. He sweeps through all of history, but he but he's using Bible stories and quotes and everything. I think maybe we overemphasize just staying right in the text, right in the word all the time when the, a lot of the New Testament teaching was quite topical. Why? Because they were going somewhere to make a change in someone's behavior. And there were just lots of things that would lead them to that. So off the cuff, I would come up with Stephen because of the way he approached the topic, starting with facts that were not that controversial, but ending with an application that was hard. Mm -hmm. The flip side of that would be who is your favorite student in the Bible? Someone that you know, stood out as a good learner. Well, my first reaction would be someone who was asking questions, right? So maybe if that lawyer was really well motivated, not trying to trick Jesus when he asked, you know, what's the greatest commandment, something like that, mm -hmm. uh, that might be good. I think there are a few occasions where people come to Jesus with genuine questions, not questions to make them look better. That's a concern sometimes in our Bible classes. We, you get comments. They might even have the tone of voice of a question, but they're really not. It's, it's a student making a point and, it's not really a question that I'm, I'm asking because I want to learn. It's just a question because I just want to make a point. Right. So my favorite learner, I guess, would be someone who came to Jesus. And I don't know, the disciples said, do you, do you at this time, uh, you know, establish the kingdom, you know, in the first chapter of Acts? I think they were they were curious, you know. Yeah. Um, um, was it Philip that said, we don't know where you're going. Right. We don't know. I think I hope it was Philip. Mm -hmm. What do you mean? We don't know where you're going. You know, I mean, we that we know where you're going. We don't know where you're going. So there's this persistent kind of a curiosity, boy. And I, I would just you mentioned I taught math. Those were the very best questions in math class. Mm -hmm. Just to say I don't understand that didn't help me as a teacher. But if someone would say, well, what if that was a three instead of a four? And that would make the denominator zero. How would you handle that? And I love that. That's a student who's wondering, how, how, where does this go? How do, how do I make this a broader principle of learning than what we've just covered? Those were, those were great questions, even though they bo both might reflect a lack of understanding. Uh, one was a pursuit, you know, mm -hmm. a diligent, curious, uh, disciple-like <laughs> pursuit of, uh, of information. Absolutely. Well, our final question for today, this episode is releasing right towards the end of December. So we're recording it about two months before that. 
But as people are maybe planning 2022, do you have suggestions for backpacking or hiking locations they need to? Ch- I heard that's a kind of a new hobby for you. Yeah, it has been uh, since I've I've gotten older and I can't so much run anymore. I, at least I can walk and carry something. Mm-hmm. Oh, let's see. I've done sections of the Appalachian Trail. Uh, if you're in the Virginia area, you know, I've done, uh, it's McAfee Knob. It's a very iconic cliff uh, that's on the Appalachian Trail, but the trailhead's only maybe about three or four miles from the, and it's a very scenic spot and you see forever, you know, out over the Shenandoah Valley and other places that give that a try. If you're up to it, you could do it in a day up and back easy. And uh, it's not that hard of a climb. So I don't know if that's, does that fit in this topic? I don't know. <laughs> we always try to find something at the end to uh, just kind of relate to the the guest and maybe something that somewhat catches them off guard. And uh, Daniel mentioned to me recently, that's a very new hobby for you or fairly new yeah, hobby for you. So it is. And it's, it, it probably will not be long lasting based on my age. <laughs> so what I can get out of it, as Paul said, is profitable for a little. And I think Homer Haley said, and I'm going to get whatever little bit I can out of it. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Marty, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been really helpful for us to think about being teachers of the word of God, taking that seriously, as well as all of us, whether we're teachers or not, our students, and taking that seriously as well. So thank you for your thoughts on how we can make the best of our Bible studies together. Well, thank you. It's been very enjoyable. Right. Thank you. God bless. So Emerson, what was your one thing from our conversation with Marty? I think as a student of God's word. We are. I'm tempted sometimes to when I come into a class setting, I'm tempted to approach it from, "Hey, I'm kind of along for the ride." And if I'm not teaching, which there's a lot of application to teachers as well, but as a student, my one thing was that I am an active participant in this. I'm not just going to cruise into a class and and you know make the best of that time. As a student, I'm responsible for following the teacher's lead and applying myself, and that begins before the class starts. It begins with me devoting my my time to getting ready for that time so we can use it effectively. So for me, the, the one thing is just, just as teachers need to take their role uh, seriously, students need to as well, and, and that begins with me outside of the class being a student before that time begins. What about you? Kind of the basis would be just the the way he talks about teaching and how teachers are kind of an authoritative position and how teachers are kind of in charge of having that planar direction. I think I've said them before on this program, maybe when we were talking about Bible reading plans, that one of my favorite quotes is, he who fails to plan, plans to fail. Mm-hmm. I think we, we've probably either all seen that or lived that as a teacher or a student in a Bible class, and just really how, yes, the teacher is going to spearhead that idea, but the, just the thought of there needs to be direction. There needs to be, you know, what is the the goal? His statement that he talked about, at the end of this course, the student will 
and you can fill in that blank or thinking very, you know, specifically or thinking very, you know, thoughtfully about these are the objectives of this is what I want to be able to cover today in this class and make happen. And so I know where I'm going and sharing those things so the students know where they're going to and so that they can not just follow along like you mentioned, but that they can be engaged and be a part of that. You know, plans are always subject to change and it's not the Lord's plan, and if it's not divine, then it's always maybe going to have to be tweaked in a little bit. Mm-hmm. But having something like that, something I'm trying to implement more in my own teaching. Mm-hmm. So you as the listener, what was your one thing that you took out of our conversation with Marty? Uh, we always try to leave you with that challenge, not just listen to this and say, oh, that was interesting, but how does this conversation help you as either a teacher or as a student, you fall into one of those two categories as a listener of this podcast, how is that going to help you get the most out of your time in Bible classes with other Christians? Thank you for listening to Working with the Word today. And I guess I should add, for this series, and for this whole year. Again, this is our final episode of 2021, and we just want to express our thanks for you following along with us this year. Whether you just recently found our podcast or whether you've been listening from the very beginning or the very beginning of 2021 when we did our whole series or our whole story series or our Zephaniah series or we've been on our John series, our difficult passages, or maybe you were around when Jeff went through that weird move and we weren't producing new episodes over the summer. We just want to say thank you for being with us this year and we hope you'll continue to stick with us as we're getting back into John chapter 9 next year and really our next episode that, we re- that we'll release. We'll get back into our inductive study of John, looking at John 9 through 12, doing some observation in those chapters as that's our next big chunk. Our next big section we'll be thinking about kind of grouped together. You can always reach out to us and let us know what your one thing was from any of these conversations with any of the folks we've had in this particular series and tell us. We'd love to hear from you about how this is helping you or encouraging you in your own Bible study, whether it's you reaching out to us with your own comments or questions or difficult passages as we will be tackling and talking about more of those in the new year as well as time as time permits. You can always reach out to us on Facebook at Working With The Word on Instagram at workingwiththeword.podcast, or send us an email to workingwiththewordpodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word, workingwiththewordpodcast at gmail.com. And before we sign off, just one more time, we want to say thank you, and for all this program does, to God be the glory. So until next time, may you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity.